How are we this morning? All right, we're going to rehearse. We're going to get a little better in that. It's Christmas season. How are we doing? Okay, good. Good. I'm excited. I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, there will be uh, just every cheesy Christmas movie watched at my house this year. Um, my two-year-old is now old enough to really like movies, and so now we can outvote mom. Mom is more of a, of a serious, uh, she likes to watch movies that aren't annoying, um, which makes sense because she's an adult and I'm barely an adult. So me and Emery will vote for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every night until December, the, actually January. And so we're excited. We've got this little elf thing we've got to get out. And it's not elf on the shelf because elf on the shelf, creepy, okay? We've got this little, it's like a mouse elf that you move like day by day through the calendar, right? It's how I learned to count when I was little. And so we'll bring that out. It's awesome. It's Christmas season, right? You guys ready for that? Right, awesome. Hey, uh, Acts 23 is where you want to be in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, and that is our, uh, that's our Christmas gift to you. Um, it, and next year, in January, it'll be our New Year's gift, and then it'll be our Valentine's gift, and so on and so forth. But that Bible in front of you is for you. There's a table of contents in the front, and you want to find the book of Acts and the 23rd chapter of Acts. We're starting a new series today called Love That Sticks. And uh, you saw a little bit of what that looks like. We'll explain it a little more as we go along. Uh, but love that sticks. I want to catch you up. Uh, last week, we started Acts chapter 23, uh, and Paul was uh, going before the council and was getting accused, was arguing his trial. Uh, he gets punched in the mouth. Uh, he gets thrown back in the jail cell, and Jesus shows up and says, Hey, Paul, uh, don't worry, you won't be in Jerusalem much longer. In fact, you've got to go to Rome now. Uh, for the gospel. So Paul is in Jerusalem, in jail. He knows it's time. He's getting ready to go to Rome to face trial, and it's probably, um, probably worse in Rome than it is in Jerusalem. So Paul is just getting ready uh, to go to trial in Rome. That's where we pick up the text today, Acts chapter 23, uh, verse 12. Now, you ready? Okay. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They're serious. There were more than 40 of them who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So this group of about 40 guys, they take this oath that they're not going to eat or drink until they've killed Paul, right? That's serious. They go to the uh, chiefs and the elders, and they go to St. Hedrian and say, hey, look, I want you guys to, to tell the tribune to bring Paul down. And as Paul goes from the jail at the fortress to uh, the council in, in the temple, uh, what we'll do is as he comes through, he comes to the Sanhedrin, we'll jump him and kill him, and we'll be done with this Paul thing, right? Verse 16, now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, right? So Paul's nephew hears about the ambush. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Paul's family. Luke uh, doesn't really tell us a lot. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, doesn't really tell us a lot. But we can make the assumption that when Paul's family moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem, the whole family moved there, that Paul's sister's probably been living in Jerusalem, and apparently Paul's sister has a child, at least one child, 
It's Paul's nephew. Now, they love each other. They're family, right? This is really probably not the way they wanted to have the family reunion. But when Paul came back to town, he goes to jail. So what happens in verse 16 is Paul's nephew hears about this plan. And now it's come to this crossroad where he has to decide, well, what do I do? So Paul's nephew knows something's up, and he has to make a decision. What do I do? He's really got a couple options. He hears it. He, he could very well, the nephew could very well go back to his mom, Paul's sister, and goes, hey, mom, just need to know uh, they're going to kill Paul. He could have went and told his mom and just hoped that she would have done something. Just kind of said, hey, you need to know about, Paul's got a need, and I just, you, should, you should know about it. And, and just hope that his mom would have done something. He also could have just been passive and called it trust, right? We do that sometimes. We're like, I see a need. I see something. I, sh- I should maybe do something here. But I'm just going gonna, gonna to trust God that he'll do it. I'm just going to have this trust. And we really, we're passive. And we kind of throw this word trust around. And we call this kind of passive. I'm not going to act here. And we just call, I'm trusting God. God will come through, right? He also um, could have just prayed like crazy that God would send someone else. Right? You ever been that moment where you see a knee and you're like, dear Lord, would you just send somebody? And God's like, <clears throat> yeah, I did. <laughs> dear Lord, would you just send somebody? <clears throat> I did. Right? He could have just prayed that prayer. God, would you send somebody else? And God going, I, I did, bro. I sent you. He, could have, he also could have just ignored it and done the whole like, well, it's not really my business. Like, I, I don't really, I know it's family, but I don't really want to get too involved here. It's not really my business. But here's what he does. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. He went and entered the barracks. You know what he did? He acted because love is only love when it's, it's only demonstrated when it costs something. Love is only demonstrated when it costs something. So Paul's nephew, who loves Paul, heard about this attack on Paul's life and had to make a decision. He's at this crossroad where he goes, either I love Paul and I'm going to act, I'm going to demonstrate that, it may cost me something, or I'm going to ignore him, I'm not going to love him, I'm just going to kind of let it happen. So here's what, here's what he does. He, he goes and he enters the barrack, right? Very well could have cost this kid his life, right? He knows there's 40 guys in between the temple, in between the Sanhedrin and the fortress waiting for Paul to come out, and he walks right through them and into the barracks, into the, into the Roman jail cell, and it could have cost him his life. It could have cost him, uh, you know, he could have been arrested in the process, but he goes, look, love demands an action. It requires an action. So let's read verse 17. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, what is this that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded for, by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush waiting for him, who have bound themselves by an oath and neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young men, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. So here's what happens. Paul's nephew, he sees this kind of this, this moment where Paul has a need, 
And his nephew, Paul's nephew, goes, look, it, it, might, cost me, uh, it might cost me my freedom. It might cost me my life. It definitely is going to cost me some of my comfort. But I know that my love, if I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to say I love Paul, it's going to require of me to act. It's going to require me that. So he goes and he tells Paul, he goes, hey, Uncle Paul, here's what's going on. Paul summons the centurion. The prisoner summons the, the, the guard and says, can you take this guy to the tribune. They take him to the tribune. He tells the tribune, and what we're going to see next week in the text that follows is that the tribune takes the information and develops this plan to get Paul out of Jerusalem safely. But here's what we got to see on this nephew. Here's where I kind of want to land on and sit on for the rest of the morning is this. Is that love, this is the point, love by its nature requires action. That love by its very nature requires action. Paul's nephew understood this. He saw a need, and he decided he was going to meet the need. He understood that if he loved Paul, it was going to require action. All right? Love by its nature. If love lacks action, then it's not love. If love lacks action, it's simply, it's, it's not love at all. It, it might be curiosity. It might be infatuation. Like you might, be, you might see somebody, and you think, oh, this is love, and it's great, and get all those butterflies, and then like, 30 days, 40 days, and you're like, mm, right? That, that's not love. In fact, um, a lot of times in, in early dating relationships, you see all this like, oh, are you even falling in love? And really, you're just curious. It's just some curiosity. Here's how I know it. Because you're not willing to lay your life down for them. You're not willing to sacrifice for them. And if love lacks action, it, it's, really, it's really not love. In fact, a lot of times when we say we love things, we're passionate, and, uh, and we love the thought of something, a lot of times it's an interest. All right, here's what I mean. I've been watching... A lot of TV, we've been flipping back and forth between uh, football and Harry Potter, right? Because Harry Potter, is as soon as it gets to Thanksgiving, it'll be on every hour of the day on ABC Family. And so we've been flipping back and forth. And I, you're, you're watching TV, and every commercial, every, like every other commercial break, you get like Sarah McLaughlin, right? And she comes on, and it's like, in the arms of the angels. And then they start showing these poor dogs, and they're like, every, every hour. In fact, as you watch this commercial, a dog is getting beat. And you, your heart's like, oh my, stop beating the dogs. Stop it, right? Just release them. And I get all worked up. And then Sarah McLaughlin's sitting there holding a pack going, you can stop this. And I ha- I'm welled up, right? And then what happens? It goes back to the bulldogs, the Georgia bulldogs. And I forget about the dogs who are getting abused because we are abusing the yellow jackets, right? And so I, I completely forget, right? I completely forget about this, this dog. It's, it's just an interest. It's not love. You see, true love requires action. By its very nature, it requires action. And I want to explore that, 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 that statement, that love by its nature requires action. We really got to start ask, by asking this question, what is love? And actually, we're going to really ask it more in a biblical manner. Who is love? Who is love? Here, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to 1 John chapter 4. If you're in Acts, it's to the right. Keep going, you'll find it. Not John, that's going to trip you, that's going to trip you up. Because John is a book, and then you got First and Second and 3rd John. And John's not actually First John, it's just John. So don't let that trip you up, right? So to the right, First John, right? Right there behind First and Second Peter, and then you got the Johns, there you go. Right? First John, chapter 4, verse 7. I hear the pages flipping. I shall, I shall wait for a moment. And one more moment. All right, 1 John 4, 7. If you're not there, then, then you don't know how to go right. All right, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is? Good job. In this, in the, in this the love of God was made manifest amongst us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So love by its nature requires action. And we got to start with this, this kind of question of what is love? Or really, like I said, I'd pose it this way. Who is love? Here's what we see in this text. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. The first thing you got to capture here is that love is from God. That God is the source of love. That God is the generator of love. That love comes from the source, and the source is God. That's going to be pretty important here in a second, but love is not just something you and I have created. It's not just an emotion that kind of floats around. Love, in its very essence, in its very nature, comes from God. God is the source of love. The other thing you got to see here is that God himself is love, right? So love is not just a created thing that God created for us, Love in its nature is eternal and is God. One of the attributes, one of the character, um, part of the character, part of the core of God in heaven is that God is love. So God is not, love is not only uh, sourced by God, but in reality is in the essence of who God is, right? So it's not like God is just creating love and spinning it out and then has to create some more and, and hand some more out and create some more. No, no, God in his character, in his core, in his eternal being is, is, has been, and will always be love. It's really, I want you to think about it this way. God is not just the factory that produces love. God is the raw material of love, Right? So just think about it this way. So if you go, like my house, we have water bottles in the fridge. And if you go get a water bottle out of the fridge, some factory somewhere put H2O in a bottle and put it in a package and sold it to me. They did not create the hydrogen. They did not create the oxygen. And they probably didn't even like mix them. They probably just turned, they probably just went to a lake or somewhere and purified it and put it in a bottle, right? That, that's the factory of water, right? God is not just the factory of love. He's not just producing it and might run out one day. His eternal presence, his eternal essence, his eternal nature is the raw material. He is love, right? So, so why does love require action? Well, love is from God. Love is God, is love. And then the third thing we see here is that God, the love of God was made manifest amongst us or the love of God was made known amongst us that God sent his only son into the world. So here's how, here's how we know what love is. We know what love is because of God's action. We know what love is because of, what God, because of God's action. That God in his core, in his essence is love. And we are able to understand, see, and know that love because God acted. He made his love known to us. How? He acted and sent his only begotten son. So that's how we even know what love is. So as we begin to kind of wrestle with this love by its nature requires action, we have to understand that love in its nature is action. Because God in his nature is action. That God is ever moving. That God is, is, is an unchanging, ever moving, action oriented God. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Here's what that means. Um, We didn't even create our own love for God in heaven. 
God ignited in us the ability to love. How? He sent his son to the cross to pay the price for our sins. So even our love for God is not something that we were good enough to create and manufacture. Our love for God is really God going, I love you so much, I'm going to ignite in you the ability to love him. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, how much did God love us? If God so loved us, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God so loved, sacrificially loved us, he gave his son so that his son would, would live a perfect and pure and holy life would give his life on the cross and be resurrected. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Since God loved us so such sacrificially, we should in turn love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I want you to see this, that loving others is one of the um, quickest, easiest, wisest routes to intimacy with God. I grew up in, a, I grew up in my church culture. Um, I learned from a very young age about a prayer time and quiet time and gathering of the saints for worship and, and really all very good things. But as I grew up, those things um, had the tendency to become more important. Like having a quiet time became more important than running after Jesus. Right? And, and we should. We should dig in the Word and we should pray and we should gather and worship. Um, but if those become what we pursue, we're missing the Savior who died for us. And, and what this verse is saying here is that if you want intimacy with God, if you want to know God, then, then you should love one another. Why? Because love is God. God is love. And as we act in love and put others in front of us and sacrifice for others, we are actually experiencing God on an intimate, deep level. And then our time together is a byproduct of that. As we gather the worship, it's a byproduct of intimacy with God. And as we get in his word and study his word, it's really just a byproduct. It's really just what flows out of an intimate relationship. And so the Bible says that we should love one another. That's how we grow in intimacy. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Don't miss that. Let me read that one again. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. What it means is that whoever would say, look, I surrender my life to Jesus, that he's the Lord and Savior. I'm not good enough on my own. I need his salvation. And I, I, I confess boldly that he is the Son of God, that in that moment, in that moment of surrender, that God and man abide in perfect union because of the cross. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have the confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Here's what it says. It says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, because God is love. So through God's action of being loving, of sacrificing, of the giving of his son, that's how we even become to know that God is there. 
And then he's so good and loving. He doesn't just stop with us knowing that he is love. His love leads us into trusting his love. You get that? There's a a major difference between knowing God is good and knowing God is love and knowing, even saying God is the creator of all and trusting with your life that he is your creator. He is your heavenly father. He is the one who loves you and has saved you. And so God's love being action, God's love being action leads us to know him, to believe in him. And then as we love one another and we love him, that love begins to abide in us and we begin to have intimate dwelling and security in our heavenly father. That my security in my heavenly father is not what I know about him. I I think we should study theology. I think we should study the things of God and know about the character and attributes of God. But I could talk to you all day about the attributes of God, and that's not what gives me security in my relationship with him. The security in my relationship is that he loves me and sent his son to die for me. And you can miss the love of the Father because you know too much about the attributes, or you know too much about him, and you don't know him. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment. There's someone out here that the love that the Heavenly Father has for us, that perfect love will drive out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment, and the punishment of our sins has been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who have surrendered our life to Jesus, those sins have been paid for. We don't have to pay for them. Therefore, we don't fear punishment anymore with our Heavenly Father. You see, fear has has every bit to do with feeling like you're in trouble. I remember growing up and I'd get in trouble and my mom would, my mom and dad would, would, would get on to me and dad would say, go in your room and get ready for your spanking, right? And I, for me, that meant go in my room. I put on every pair of underwear I had. I put on every pair of shorts. I'd even put my catcher's gear on. I didn't think my dad was going to try to crack my shins or, or knock me across the face, but I was ready. I had my catcher's gear on. I had every pair of underwear I wore on. I'd go in there. He'd come in and go, you know what this is for? And I, I knew it was one of two or three things. But I was afraid if, if I told him the wrong thing, I'd get more punishment. You know what I mean? Like, this is like a, a felony class, and this one's a misdemeanor. So I'm going to let you guess, Dad, because I don't want to tell you too much, right? And, and, and here's, what, here's what fear does. Fear pushes us away from our Father. Love draws us in. And so there is perfect love that comes from the Father, that if you're here today and you feel like God's been pushing you away, it's just because you don't know him. It's just because you haven't surrendered to that perfect love because the perfect love of the Father does not push you away. It draws us in. It draws us in. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So love by its nature requires action. I just want you to grab a hold of this. Even the ability to understand the concept of love and for us to love came from the fact that he loved us at the beginning. That he created you and I, knowing that we would be rebels against him. He still created us out of love so that in in hope and in prayer that one day we would surrender our lives and go from enemies and rebels to sons and heirs and daughters. 
And God loved us so much. And in fact, his love is so big and grand um, that there's a thing called common grace that I think even our ability as humankind to understand love comes from the fact that God first taught us love. Now, I, I believe that as a husband and a father and a wife and a mother and as sons and daughters, I believe we can experience love and not even have surrendered our lives to Jesus. Because God is so good that he has taught us all love. But here's what I'll tell you. Until you understand the depths of the love of Christ, until you understand what it means that you love your wife like Christ loved the church, you can't even begin to understand the depth of love that comes in a relationship with your husband or wife that is rooted in the gospel. So I, I believe fully, you might be in this room and go, I'm not a Christian, I understand love. What are you talking about, Ryan? Yes, you understand love, but you don't know it fully. You don't know it fully. You can't. Why? Because God is love. And if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, you can't understand the fullness of the love of God our Father. And I, I, love, I love this verse. It keeps going. We love because he first loved us. There's this depth of love that, that started by he loves us, but, but it's even deeper because the more we know God, the more we know love. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love, the, love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here's what it's saying. Love requires action. Here, here's, here's, here's the very, very clear picture. If we love God, that means we love our brother. If we say, hey, I love God, it means that we love his children. We love his creations. Because to love God, one, means we love the things he loved. And two, to love God is to know love. And that we, if we know love, we know that love by its nature requires action. And so for love to be lacking action, it's not really love at all. And for us to say, I love you, my Father in heaven, and it not have action, it's idle and empty words. And as we say, I love God, I love God in heaven, then what that means for us is that we love his people here on earth. By the nature of who God is, love requires action, because God is love, and God is an action-oriented God. Now, for some of us, that's enough, and we can close up the Bible and go home, but for some of you, I, I get it, you're a little more analytical the kind of the philosophy that God is love feels good, but, but you need to know, hey, where are we told we have to love people, right? You're a little analytical. You need the rules. If you don't have the rules in the box, and you don't, you don't know how to play, okay? If you're not playing inside of the boundary lines, you're scared. That's okay. I'm going to take care of you. I love you, and I want you to walk along with us. Here we go. So not only is God is love, but for those of you who need a little more analytical, Jesus, Lord Jesus, Savior of the world, this is what he says in John chapter 15. This is my commandment, Right? Now we're going to have some rules and boundaries, right? So God is love by his very nature. He is love, and God being love is an action-oriented God. But he's also going to be very clear here in the Scripture. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now Jesus has his disciples in front of him. He starts to tell them this. Where Jesus knows he's going is the cross. So when he says, you should love people as I loved you, he's about to make a very Big statement that love by its nature requires action. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So here's what Jesus says. If you're part of my team, if you're my friends, if you're my people, 
Jesus is telling us that if we would say, hey, yes, I am a Christian, I am a part, I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, this is the command, that we'd, lay, we'd love other people to the point we'd lay our lives down for them. Now, I think very few of us are going to be asked to lay our life down physically. Like, I don't think that's going to be um, what's asked of you this week, right? To d- jump in front of a bullet or, or to, to do something that would, that would physically cost your life. I, just not a norm, okay? Not our, maybe, but not, not a norm. If you have to do that, that's not normal, right? And so we, that's probably not what you'll have to do. But I bet even on the, on the ride home today, you'll have an opportunity to take your desires that may be self-gratifying and lay down your wants for somebody else's need. And I would imagine um, you might even have the opportunity if, you have a, if you're going home with your family today or going out with friends to eat lunch, I would imagine that multiple times throughout the rest of the day, we will have an opportunity to even lay down some of our wants and desires just to give somebody else what they want. That no greater love has a man than this, that he would say, your wants, your desires, your needs, I'm going to consider them more important than mine. In fact, it's so counterintuitive and countercultural that throughout the rest of the New Testament, Jesus says things, they're going to know who you are by your love. And Paul's going to talk about the fact that, that, that the love is patient and kind and that if, that if we love one another in the same way that Christ loved us, we're going to stick out. And Peter says, you better be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. You see, love by its nature requires action. And let's be honest, it, it's, it's, God is it's in nature, it's in the command of Christ, and let's just, let's just, it's in the very center of the mission of Jesus, Right? So it's Christmas time, right? If you didn't know, we, we, we just decorated the whole campus so that when you got here this morning, you'd go, it must be Christmas. Either that or an elf exploded, right? One or two things happened here, and, and we love Christmas here. So we said, look, we're in an old Walmart, and so we can get a little Griswold, right? And so it's great. So we got Christmas going on. There's lights everywhere. I think I've already stepped on three. I mean, it's awesome. It is Christmas time. In fact, what we will do for the next... 24 days is we will all be getting ready for Christmas. We'll be getting all the presents and we'll be getting everything. And then we'll get the trees decorated, right? My family will, on the couple days before, uh, before Christmas, uh, when you're going and buying ham, right, you're going to buy lunch meat, my family will go buy steaks because that's what we do on the holidays, right? Y'all had turkey? Anybody enjoy your turkey? Yeah, we had filet. Check that out. That's what's, what's, what's up, right? So we'll all be getting ready for Christmas and Christmas Christmas Day, we will celebrate the birth of a king. And Christmas is really just the launching pad to Easter. In fact, our church will we'll be getting ready. We'll have hundreds and hundreds of Christmas Eve services, the Christmas in the box. We'll be doing them all over the world. And at the very center of what this entire season is about is that love, by its nature, requires action. You see, throughout the Old Testament, there was prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. There was this Messiah that was going to come. And there was a lot of different interpretations. Some people thought he was going to come and be like uh, the ruler of the world and and rule with an iron fist. And he was going to be the King Jesus. And he's coming back for for his his kingship. He is. But his original mission in, in, in the New Testament was to come and die on a cross for us. 
And throughout the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies that there's this Prince of Peace was coming. He was coming. And prophets after prophets proclaim that this, the Lord, the Messiah is coming. And then there's like 400 years of silence where God stopped talking through the prophets. And then there's this guy named John the Baptist, and he shows up. He says, guys, guess what? The Messiah is coming. He's coming here. He's coming amongst us. Get ready. And in John chapter 1, the beginning of the ministry of the Messiah, John says, look, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, the very epicenter of why Jesus came, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John proclaims that the Messiah has come. And that's what we're going to do for the next 24 days. We're going to get ready for Christmas. And we're going to celebrate that God, Emmanuel, has lived amongst us. Let's let's walk through this verse a a little slower. And the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. John 1, 1 says the Word was with God and the Word was God. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God spoke through the Word into existence everything. And Colossians tells us that the Word, that very Word, is Jesus Christ. So here's what this says. It says, and Jesus Christ, the actualized will of God, became flesh. Philippians 2 says he went from divinity to humanity. That he took on uh, this, this coat of skin that we call our bodies. And Jesus, fully God, became fully man. And at the heart of Christmas, at the epicenter of what we are, Christ's mission, was that love by its nature requires action. Even the drastic action of God, fully God, becoming Emmanuel, becoming fully God, fully man. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. This really, this picture here is of uh, pitching a tent. And it's really this echo of the Old Testament. In fact, John is very cleverly saying, look, the Messiah that God promised, is, we can see uh, the, kind of everything pointing to him from the beginning of time. And Moses, when he led the Israelites out of Egypt, God taught Moses how to build a tabernacle. And this tabernacle was where God's presence dwelt among the nation of Israel. And every time Israel moved, they took the tabernacle down, they moved it, they put it back up, and God dwelt among his people. And what John is saying here is God doesn't dwell in a tent anymore. He pitched a tent amongst us. He dwells with us in the man of Jesus. And it was no longer a tent that controlled, that contained God's presence, not control, but contained God's presence, but that God's presence was now in man, dwelling amongst man, living amongst him, the glory of the Lord amongst him. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father. And John says, not only did he come amongst us, not only did he take up residence on earth and dwell with us, he has shown us the Father. He has shown us the glory. When you think of glory of the Father, I want you to think of this, this kind of idea of the weighted presence of God. Have you ever had those moments in worship where you just feel like you can barely breathe because you are in the weighted presence of God, the renown of God, the majesty of God, God flexing his majestic essence? That's the glory. The glory of God. So what they're saying here is, look, Jesus took on flesh. 
He put his presence amongst us and he revealed to us, this is what the entire Christmas season is about, that he revealed to us the glory, the renown, the presence, the majesty of our creator. Come on, you will a little bit. Full of grace and truth. The Bible says that Jesus came, he lived among us, and he was full of grace and truth. The truth of this is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The grace is this, is that he gave his life that you and I might live if we'd surrender to him. I love this, this, the New Testament way of saying it's full of grace and truth. You'll see that throughout the New Testament, grace and truth. The way they, they said the kind of common phrase in the Old Testament was two words, has said and admit. And they mean this. Steadfast love and steadfast faith. So in the New Testament, you get Jesus who's full of grace, he's full of truth, and throughout the Old Testament, they describe God as he's a God of steadfast love and steadfast faith. And here's how that steadfast love was manifested. Back to John, 1 John 4, the love of God was manifested amongst us that God sent his only son into the world. That God sent Jesus into the world and at the epicenter, at the middle of the mission of Jesus was declare the glory of God amongst us and to reveal that God has been, is, and always will be steadfast in love and steadfast in faith. That he is coming full of grace and truth. That, he, that God has never, ever wavered in love. And love by its nature, requires action. And that's what we're celebrating this Christmas, right? Now, here's, here's my hope and my prayer for us. My hope and my prayer is not, this, not just that we would hear the word and be inspired. The word should inspire us. We should read the word. We should be inspired and encouraged by the word of God. But my prayer is that it would not cease there. It's very easy to hear the word, to be inspired, to be encouraged, to take it in, to digest it, and act as if we are consumers who got what we wanted. But we're really more of conduits. We're not here to consume God's word. We're here to be conduits, that we would hear God's word, receive God's word, and act and respond to the gospel appropriately. And so I just want to encourage you with how do we walk out love that's action. How how do we say, I love God and I want to love his people? Three quick things. Number one, you need to know the need. The first thing to do in in walking and and acting out on love is you got to know the needs. You got to see the needs, right? Um, If you are a a husband or a wife, if you're a mom or a dad, if you're a child, if if you're in a dating relationship, if you have friends, right? Basically, if you're anything but a loner, if you're a loner, we still love you, right? If you're anything but a loner, you should be a studier of, your, of people who are significant to you. You should use your life. You should study them. You should know them. When, when there's something wrong, you should ask. And when, when be better than me, I, te- I tend to ask and then provide all the solutions. Just, just ask and be quiet and listen and just receive. We should study. We should know. We should spend our time with people who are significant in our life. Just knowing them and loving them and studying them to the point where we know something's up. And then... We own the need. Once you've studied the need, you own the need. To study, to know, to know and not do anything, once again, is not love. Right? To know and to do something, to act upon that, is love. So there's a few things we, we want you to really pray through. First of all, 
I want you praying through who is in my life that I need to be a better student of. Who do I need to know the ins and outs of so that when they have a need, I can meet it. Second of all, there's some people who you would not consider significant to your life that God is going to use you to be significant to their life. We say around here a lot that God's giving you all you have, not for all you want, but for all that someone else needs. And so part of owning the need, of knowing the need, of seeing the need, is that there are some people who who may not be significant to you yet that God's going to use you to be significant to them. And so I I pray that we're a church that has our heads on the swivel looking for people in need. In fact, not only do we pray this, uh, our church wants to make it really easy. And so in your bulletin, you got this flyer that says, sharing love that sticks with our local partners in need. We have uh, several friends and community partners throughout Jacksonville that have needs. They have people in their ministries uh, that need a Christmas. And so we, we gave you this because um, when we talk about seeing and owning the need um, of those who may not be significant to you yet, we wanted to put this in your hand. And I want you to study it. And I want you to circle some stuff. But look, here's the deal. Studying it and knowing the needs and not meeting the needs is not love. And if we say we love God, it, it's required of us. It means that we love his people. So I'm going to beg you on this one. Grab this one, read it, study it, and start meeting needs. Now, here's the truth. That's only half of what we've been called to do as believers. Only half of what we've been called to do as believers. We've been called to see the need and meet the need. But that's not the whole. See, as we see needs and meet needs, as we know needs and own needs, then the other half of it is this, is that yes, yes and amen, meet the need. Whether it be someone who needs food or clothes or someone who needs someone to listen to or or, or whatever that need is, meet it, meet it, meet it. But then we should also, hand in hand, share life with them. You see, because what someone needs more than, uh, more than clothes, yeah, they need clothes because it's getting cold outside and they, they don't have any, they need clothes. But even greater than that, they need to know the love of, the, of their Father that is there for eternity. And so here's what we want to do. I want to encourage you with a couple of things. First of all, as you meet needs, as you meet needs, I want you to be praying. Now, God, how can I meet this need and try to attempt to meet an eternal need. And usually it's very easy. Usually you just meet a need and you go, can I, can I just share with you that the reason I could do that is because God loves me and he sent me to tell you that he loves you. To share scripture with them. To just memorize and some scripture. Go to Bible Gateway. As you begin to meet needs this season, you just go and you, you write a verse down and you give it to them. All right? Another thing we're going to do, we want to give you tools. We're all about tools here. So this is how you see and own needs. And then we want to give you a tool as you leave today to help you share life or speak life into people. So on your way out, you're going to get this little, uh, some sticky pads. You're going to get like one per family. And it says hashtag love that sticks across the top. That way on your Twitters, you can like hashtag it. And if you don't know what that means, then just our student section's right here. They'll help you before you leave, Right? And here's what we're going to do. Love that sticks. Our whole series, our whole theme for this Christmas is this. We want you to go and speak life into people that are significant to you and people that aren't even significant to you yet, right? You you saw the video when we started. It starts at home. It's in the workplace. It's all over the city. And what we want you to do this Christmas season is take these sticky notes and we want you to begin to write scripture and words of encouragement. We want you to speak life into people and then we just want you to pull it off and stick it so you might want to stick it on a starbucks card 
on a, on a Starbucks cup as you drive through. You might want to stick it somewhere in your office that as people begin uh, to uh, try to figure out what the season's all about, you just tell them, hey, I know it's stressful, but there's one who is the prince of peace, right? We're giving you freedom to be as cheesy Christian as you want to be during this season. Like, we're welcoming it, right? Come on, right? Here's another thing you can do. But write down invitations to Christmas in a box. These are your invitations. Give them. What we want to do during this season is go, I love God. I want to love his people. I want to see needs. I want to act on needs. And while I'm acting and meeting the needs of my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, my, my uh, students at my school, I want to speak life. And so we're going to give you these on your way out. And this is the way that we want you to use to encourage. Let me close with this. We're, I'm, I'm an action-oriented guy, and I want to be action-oriented. I want to have some steps for us to take. But I want you to hear this above all. There's a heavenly Father who in his essence and his nature is love. And so as we close, we're going to respond as we always respond. If you need to come and pray and go, hey, God, thank you for loving me. If we're going to sing a song that declares the love of the Father, that maybe in gratitude that you want to go and give the tithe and offering. Some of you in this season, though, because of what it is, this is the first season without a loved one. This is a season where financial stress gets super high and through the roof. Some of you, you just need to go, look, I'm needy, and I just need to be loved on and prayed on, and we're just going to invite you to come to the altar, to kneel, and then some of our staff and deacons are going to come and just pray for you. And here's what I want you to hear. As one of your pastors, I want you to hear this, that this season, at the center of this season, with its stress and with its busyness and with all the fun and all the glamour, at the center of this season is that the Word, Jesus, took up flesh and dwelt with us. To reveal to us the glory of the Father in heaven. That we would know that we have a heavenly Father who loves each and every one of us. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we just confess that you are good. God, we confess that you in your, in your essence and in your nature and in your very core, God, that you are love. And that you reveal to us your love through your action of Jesus. And God, we just confess that you are good. That we love because you loved us. And God, in this season, I just pray for the people in this room who are stressed already. It's the first day of December and all the emotions are coming. And God, in this moment, would you remind them that you love them so much that you sent your son to take up flesh and to dwell amongst us. That we would know the weight of your presence. That we would know the the weight of your presence. You would flex your majesty, your love, your faithfulness. And that God, this season, that the love of sticks, yes, we'll we'll put sticky notes all over Jacksonville. But God, we we just know that the love that sticks is not a sticky note, but it's the one that the sticky note declares. That Jesus loves us and his love was stuck to a cross on our behalf. God, we pray this and we thank you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.